Well, welcome to the house of the Lord. Grab your seats if you would. Tonight we're in a little summer stretch here and I'll just tell you, some of you are double dippers. You come on Friday night and you come on Sunday morning, you know, like, yeah, there you go. I see you double dippers shooting for a better mansion in heaven or something. Um, But if you're a double dipper, I'm preaching this again on Sunday, probably a slightly better version. So don't tell me that I didn't tell you, okay? I'm not coming with a fresh word, all right? So anyway, if you have your Bibles, turn to Romans chapter 16. It's in the New Testament. If you're new to the book, it's kind of to the back right of the book. Romans chapter 16. This is the Apostle Paul that is writing the end. It's the very end of this letter and he's in prison, and so what I want to do tonight is talk about developing a theology of church. A little bit of a summer series that we're on here. We just finished up our Who is God series, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and last week we talked about developing a theology of play. It's summertime. We need to get our joy back. We need to relax a little bit. The Spirit of the Lord wants to give us strength through his joy, but tonight we're going to talk about Developing a Theology of Church. And I'm going to read you this text, Romans 16, 1 through 16. So hang on tight. Hear the word of the Lord from Paul. He says, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, and she's a deacon of the church in Centrea. She's the leader of the church. And I ask you to receive her in the Lord in a way worthy of his people and to give her any help she may need from you, for she has been the benefactor of many people, including me. So not only is she the church leader, but she's paying Paul's bills as he's in prison. Like, tell me women can't be in ministry. So anyway, I'll keep moving. But actually, I'll move on to the next woman, and she's mentioned before her husband. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, and in the ancient world, you wouldn't do this. You wouldn't name a woman before the man, but Paul does. Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers in Christ Jesus, they risked their lives for me. Not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. And he says, greet also the church that meets at their house. Greet my dear friend Epinetus, who was the first convert to Christ in the province of Asia. He goes on to say, greet Mary, who worked very hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junia, another woman, my fellow Jews who have been in prison with me. She's been in prison for the gospel with Andronicus, and they are outstanding. They are outstanding among the apostles. And they were in Christ before I was. Paul says, I'm late to the party. Greet Ampliatus, my dear friend in the Lord, and greet Urbanus, our coworker in Christ, my dear friend Stachys. I mean, if you're, needing to, if you're looking for names for your children, Romans 16 is yours. Greet Apelles, whose fidelity to Christ has stood the test, and greet those who belong to the household of Aristobulus, and greet Herodian, my fellow Jew, and greet those in the household of Narcissus. He's kind of a big deal, just ask him. Who are in the Lord and greet Tryphena and Tryphosa, those women who work hard in the Lord and greet my dear friend Persis, another woman who has worked very hard in the Lord and greet Rufus, he's chosen in the Lord and his mom too, his mom is amazing. She's been a mother to me as well. Greet Asyncritus and Phlegon and Hermes and Petrobus and Hermas and other brothers and sisters with them. And greet Philologus and greet Julia and Nereus and his sister and Olympus and all the Lord's people who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ send greetings. This is the word of the Lord and all God's people said, what the heck? <laughs> Let's pray. Lord, speak to us tonight. We have wasted our time if we've come to be entertained. We've wasted our time if we've come to hear a slick talk. We've wasted our time if we're just gonna drum up all the stuff we've heard from the pundits this week. We have wasted our time if you don't speak. And Lord, I do not pretend to have enough in me to do this work. I must decrease, Lord, please increase. Let your word race through this place. Let your spirit stir every heart. Lord, make us new tonight. Heal us tonight. Fill us with your Holy Spirit tonight. Lord, we pray, may the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. Oh, Lord, our strength and our redeemer, we pray these things tonight in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and all God's people said. 
you read this and you go, what in the world is a chapter like this doing in the Bible? Sounds like a school roll call. Uh, what a strange text, uh, a bunch of names and Urbanus, present, and Philologus, here. <laughs> Trifena Trifosa, you know. Hey, hey. You know, like people are they, like, what are we doing? What is this in the Bible for? Ampliatus and asyncritus, it sounds like a heart disease, you know? And side effect of COVID, asyncritus, you know, I'm recovering. This is Paul's most theologically rich letter, and he writes the end like this? Like from the towering theological vistas of, of the book of Romans, we crash into the valley of names and Okay, like at, at a literary level, it feels sort of anticlimactic. And could we not have thought of a more convincing way to drop the mic, Paul? Like you've done so well and you just kind of peter out here at the end with this list of crazy names. And, but I heard a sermon by a Southern preacher and a seminary professor named Fred Craddock and, and his deep sort of Southern idiosyncratic, large, booming voice. He was in his 80s when he preached it and he said, don't you call it a list. Don't you call it a list. It's Phoebe. And he said, I commend to you, Phoebe, for she's been a great help to many people, including me. She's been the benefactor. Like, we don't have a story without Phoebe. Phoebe, she was a minister in Centrea, which was a port town in Corinth, which was far away from Rome, 750 miles if she takes a straight shot by land, but most likely she would have gotten on a boat and gone around Greece and gone around the boot of Italy and come up to Rome. That's a long journey, and she's a woman all by herself in a patriarchal society, and there's pirates out there, and there's bandits out there, and she would have been easy pickings, and these guys could have crushed her, and Paul gives the letter of the book of Romans. He's written it out on papyrus with a little scroll and he sketched it out with his stylus and he said, Phoebe, take this to Rome. We don't have the book of Romans without Phoebe. Don't call it a list. Priscilla and Aquila, they risked their lives for me. Do you feel like the, you feel the emotion behind that? Paul was a converted barroom brawler. The last, the last scene that we get from him is Acts chapter seven where he's stoning Stephen, the, the first Christian martyr. Stephen said, Jesus Christ is Lord. And Paul is there and they laid down their garments at his feet and he's the religious ruler of the day and they stone Stephen to death. And Acts chapter nine, Jesus knocks Paul off of his horse because he's carrying letters to go kill more Jesus followers thinking that he's doing God a favor. And Jesus knocks Paul off of his horse, Saul off of his horse, and he's the artist formerly known as Saul, now he's Paul, out proclaiming the good news that Jesus Christ is Lord. But Paul's still got some you-know-what in vinegar running through his blood. He's, he's, he's hot, he's angry, he's a, he's a quick temper, he's killed people before, he, don't mess with Paul. And Paul is out preaching the gospel and a town completely runs him out. And Paul starts, he flips over into anger, he's about to become Saul again. And Priscilla and Aquila come up to him and they go, come here, young man. Hey, we don't need that. Just come with us, come to our house. And he lived with them for 18 months and they made him a disciple of Jesus. Wow. Don't call it a list. My dear friend Epinetus, who was the first convert in, to Christ in Asia, Paul was not a mass evangelist who thought of his work in terms of crowds. There's a guy called Epinetus. I know who the first convert was in Asia. His name was Epinetus, and I could not believe that the spirit of the Lord would use an old murderer like me, but Epinetus raised his hand one night, and he came down to the front, and the kingdom of God started breaking out in Asia Minor, and you can't believe Jesus said it would happen in Jerusalem, and then it would go to Judea, and then it would go to Samaria, and then it would go to the uttermost bounds of the earth, and Epinetus is proof that Jesus Christ was telling the truth. His name is Epinetus. Paul was not working crowds. He was building a congregation of Jesus followers. He knows their names. Don't call it a list. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my fellow Jews, who have been in prison with me. Paul had people bolt when it got difficult. 
Paul had people who started out hot. Yeah, woo, let's go, woo. And then they experience a little bit of trouble and they go back home and they go back to their lives and they sort of mail it in. Paul said, these two, they went to jail with me. One of them's a woman. Like that's dangerous stuff. But they believed in Jesus so much and they loved me so much that they went to prison with me. They're outstanding among the apostles. You pay honor and you defer and you pay homage. And Paul bows his knee. Paul says, look, they were a part of this story before me. They were early to the party following Jesus. And I'm the one who came late. And you, when you see them, you greet them and you take care of them and you honor them because they're great among the apostles. Don't call it a list. Paul says, don't call it a list. And this week, as we're talking about developing a theology of church, some of you might be saying, Daniel, why are you reading this text to us? This is sort of a strange place to start. Like, how does this even touch us today? How is this applicable? How is this relevant to us today? And I'll just say, we live in a society that adores crowds, but Paul wants, to, wants us to fall in love with a congregation. And what he's doing here by naming, 29 names he uses in Romans 16. 29 names. What he's doing, he's, bu- he's building a congregational identity. He's helping them know each other and locate each other and honor each other and qu- be quick to forgive each other and understand who's, who's a faithful leader who can be trusted. Paul is building a, a congregation, and we live in a world that loves crowds. You, you have Coldplay come through town, they're going to pack it out. 90,000 people. Whoa! And we're pumped when 600 come on Friday, you know? Jesus Christ is Lord, but have you seen Chris Martin? in those pants, in those glowing shoes, right? Like, and I love, I'm a drummer, I love concerts, like go for it. Go to the Broncos game, yell and scream and all this, but, but we live in a society that wants to deal in crowds, but we don't want to love a congregation. Don't call it a list, call it a congregation, call it a lifeline. I think of my church growing up and I think about the people who shaped me and Miss Eula Mae Bodenstein, she was our church secretary. She's about three feet, eight inches. <laughs> was she not? Eula Mae Bodenstein, she only passed recently. She must have been 92 or 93, a woman of God. And she kissed me on the cheek and she had a little drawer in her desk with all the candy in it. So I'd run to Miss Eula Mae and she'd take good care of me and Bill and Florence Wells and Mike and Annette Smith who were in the choir and they taught me about serving the Lord. Think about Jim and Pam King and Tom and Susan Newman, Jared and Holly are over here. I don't have any memories in my life without Tom and Susan Newman being a man and a woman of God, faithful in marriage, faithful to the gospel, honoring their children, raising up a family that is carrying the story well beyond them. And Mark and Linda Turner, these people taught me about marriage and ministry and faithfulness. Think about Terry and Julie Fisher and Rick and Shelley Finnamore and Rick and Teresa Klein, their business savvy and their generosity and the way they've leveraged their strength for the, on, uh, the ongoing of the kingdom work in the nations and in Tulsa, Oklahoma and Tommy Harden and David Wells and Phil Johnson who taught me how to be a drummer. Phil Johnson gave me a drum set. I, I still have it to this day. I sit down at that drum set. My kids sit down at the drum set that Phil Johnson gave me when I was 12 years old. Don't call it a list. Joe Mercier and Mike Mills, who trained me as an athlete, and and they said, you'll use these gifts the rest of your life. You think sports will stop after high school, college? No, they won't. Everything that you're learning now, you'll use as you're a pastor. There were always cakes and pies and casseroles. We'd sit around the piano together and sing through the hymn book and weeping and praying in the spirit. And I've been in hospital rooms with all of these people. We've talked about missions work and strategize and I've traveled to the nations of the earth with these people and they taught me how to love Jesus and they taught me how to clothe the naked and visit the sick and the imprisoned and how to feed the hungry and how to give my strength to the poor. These are the people who taught me how to be a saint celebrating birthdays and marriages and strengthening families and helping each other raise children. And were, we, were there disappointments and heartbreaks along the way? Absolutely there were. Do we all share the same political viewpoints? Absolutely we don't. That doesn't matter. And I just wish the church of today would just understand that that's not the most important thing. The blood of Jesus Christ that has sanctified us is the most important thing. Fighting to preserve unity with differences of opinion. Have differences of opinion. It's important to vote. It's important to care. But let's not let these things separate us from being the body of Christ. 
Have some of these people died and entered their rest? Absolutely. I think about one, and I was just flipping through pictures the other day, and I found this one of Mr. Artis and Miss Ethel Himes. Let me show you this picture of these Mr. Artis right there in the middle. He'd pick us up early, Dad. You remember we'd go bass fishing with Artis? This dude could pray. Like, massive man of God. Hands that would swallow up your head when he would lay hands on you. He'd anoint your head with oil and he'd start praying, Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you. Like, you, you don't ever get over that. Don't call it a list. Paul says, don't call it a list. This is a lifeline. It's interesting to me that Paul's most theological letter is also his most personal which is to say that you don't get the life of God and the salvation of God and the kingdom of God apart from the people of God. Sadly, the stats indicate that the church in the first world west is temporarily in decline. Like you just read, you read the data. It's, it's pretty clear. The church in the first world west is, is in decline. Some of you might say, why is that? And, I, and I've, there's several thoughts, but I think primarily one of the reasons we're in decline is because, and this isn't intrinsically a problem, but it does easily become a problem. We are the wealthiest society in the history of the world. And when people get wealthy, they don't let go and let God. They go, I'm good. Walter Brueggemann, the great Old Testament scholar, he studied all, I mean, the guy knows the Old Testament inside and out, and he looks at all of the texts when the people of God walked away from Yahweh. They had these moments of faithfulness, these cycles of they return to the Lord in fasting and weeping and prayer and sackcloth and ashes and they, they make sacrifice and they become the faithful people that follow Torah again. And Deuteronomy chapter eight, he says, look, when God provides for you and when you're blessed and when you build houses and when you plant crops and when you uh, drink from cisterns that you didn't dig, when this happens, do not forget the Lord your God for it is he that gives you the power to get wealth. And he says, do not forget because we do. And Walter Brueggemann, after having studied all of these Old Testament texts where the Israelites walk away, he says, affluence causes spiritual amnesia. He said, it's always when they're doing well that they walk away from God because they don't need him anymore. They think. And I'm grateful to live in the most prosperous society in the history of the earth. I am not complaining, and I'm not saying we should be gluttons for punishment, and I'm not saying we should take the vow of poverty and kind of slink over and just, uh, uh, no, go hard and, and work hard and be prosperous and hire people and bless people and give to the nations. You are blessed to be a blessing. So pick up that Abrahamic covenant and carry it forward, but do not forget the Lord your God. But do you know where the church is exploding? The church is exploding in the developing world, what we used to call the third world, particularly in the global south, all over South America, all over the southern part of Africa, the South Saharan Africa. The church is exploding in China and Afghanistan and Iran and Rwanda and Congo. The church is exploding in Nigeria. And I've got friends who have been, who've gone from here to Lagos, Nigeria, and they've been in prayer meetings with 100,000 saints for three hours calling on the name of the Lord. Why? Because they have to have him. See, why is the church thriving in those places? Because the church is all they have. The people of God are all they have. And I'll just say the church is the largest social services organization on the planet. We founded hospitals. We founded orphanages. When people were running away from the great plagues, Christians were running in and setting up shop and triaging people back to life and finding kids that were in the streets and saying, okay, I'll adopt them, they're ours. Because everyone who was theirs, they left or they died. And so look, Christians, we, the church, are the largest social services organization on the planet. And that's a great thing. And it takes a million different forms and a million different contexts. And it's gotta be localized and personalized. But we are the ones that feed the poor. We are the ones that clothe the naked. We are the ones who taken the lonely strangers and, the, and God sets the lonely into families. In, in the developing world, these people live every day praying, give us this day our daily bread. And they pray it literally. It's not a cute little metaphor. Back to our affluence. Here's the thing about money. 
As great as it is, it cannot protect you from life. From the eruptive moments of life. There are moments that break through and they puncture the false peace. There are moments where a diagnosis or a divorce or a death or a devastating betrayal come in and it doesn't matter if you're Steve Jobs. If you're that sick, it's over. Best medical care on the planet. No, access to anything. Fly around on private jets to get anything you need. And it just, sometimes life just breaks through and it doesn't matter who you are or where you are or how deep your pockets are. And, and, and the question that I wanna ask is when those moments come, do you have what you need? Which is the body of Christ. Don't call it a list, it's the larger family of faith. And so what I wanna say tonight is that it often, it's in moments of unexpected crisis where you discover what you really have. What does the Bible instruct us to do about the church? If we're gonna develop a theology of church tonight, I wanna say four quick things. I'll, I'll just be as elementary as I can, and I'll be as quick as I can, and I'll tell you a story, and then I'll go get on my knees in communion and ask the Lord to do his thing with this word. The first thing I wanna say about what do we do with the life of the local church? What am I asking you to do today? One, come. Just come. A lot of times we think about the church, we treat church like a pep rally for Jesus when we think about, when we should be thinking of the church as the weekly family meal where everyone gets together to remember who we are. We think pep rally, oh great, it works for my schedule and it's gonna be fun and it's gonna be adrenaline, great music and all my people, <laughs> we get together when it works, you know, like pep rally for Jesus and we dance around, that's great. Like it works this week and I'll go to the pep rally where I'll have a spiritual hit of adrenaline. That is not what the church is. The church is the family meal where all the saints gather around and, and, and I know when I'm working too much when I'm missing too many family meals. Something is wrong in the family system and there's a wobble and, and, and I, there's a spot vacated, an important spot and I ache to be there and my people are missing out on me when I'm not there. And friends, when you are not here, we miss you. Like we are, we are, we are worse off when you're not here. And the, and the saints of old, they would say, I said it earlier, Psalm 122, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Like they made pilgrimage and they said, I gotta get up to the place because God is gonna be there and God's people are gonna be there. And don't you call it a list of names, that's my lifeline. And Paul said, the writer of Hebrews said, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together. When we miss too many family meals, something isn't right. We live in Colorado where people pay to vacation. So go vacation, enjoy the gift. I'm not being rigid. When you need to go and party and, and, and be refreshed as a family, we've got friends camp, that's excellent, go. When you're not on vacation, please get your booties to church. Because when you miss, you are worse off. And when you miss, we are worse off. It's not a pep rally for Jesus. It's the family meal where we remember who we are. So please gather, come to church, number one. Come to church. Number two, connect. Don't come to church and get your hit of the word of God that helped you get your best life now so that you could live a good, you and, and I'm gonna apply this to my life and blah, blah, blah. that's not what the, I hope church is good for you, but church ought to be good for us. And when you come in and you're aware of who's around you and where people sit and storylines and how, oh my goodness, how's your kid doing? Oh, they're sick and what do you need? You need some gift cards? You need us to bring groceries over? Can we babysit the rest of them so that you can go out and get your mind right and get your soul back? And what do you need? Connect, know each other's story. This is why we take two minutes in every service. This is not throwaway time. I'm looking forward to two minutes because I wanna see you. And we have a pre-service dinner for our volunteers and leaders and the kids who serve upstairs with the children. Every week, there's 100 people in there having dinner before church. And just, it's a party. Why? Because church is not supposed to be an individual place where we get fed the word of God for ourselves and then step back out into our cars and go home to our house. The church is the people of God gathering together and falling in love with each other. So come to church and connect at church. Know each other's stories. The third thing is contribute. In a world of consumerism, I invite you to be a contributor. In a world of me, 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 and what can this do for me, and how can I just, that's not what the saints do. Jesus in John 13 showed us how we live. Jesus said, you get up from the table when you're in charge, 
when you're the king of kings and the Lord of lords, Jesus gives an example. You get up from the table with all the dirty feet of the disciples around you and you get a bowl and you get a towel and you wash their nasty feet. And Jesus, after he washes their feet, he looks up them and says, this is how you live now. Go and do likewise. So to contribute, like when I stand up here every week or when anyone stands up here and invites you to give of tithes and offerings, I think a lot of times people think pastors do that because we get some sort of a kickback. You know, drive tithes and offerings because, hey, we're doing really good and we could, no, that is not at all what's going on here. That is not at all what's going on here, but I will not lie to you. I am incentivized when I get up here and ask you to give. You know why I'm incentivized? Because I know all of the stories that are happening in this congregation, and I know how many single parents need help, and I know how many elderly need help, and I know how many people have been priced out of apartments that need help, and I know how many people can't go to a church because they might, please give. People are making decisions whether or not they can come to church because of gas prices. Are you serious? God have mercy. Kids deciding how many meals they can take for school. We're going to try to cut it down to one and a half or two. I've had these conversations. It may not be touching you, and if it's not touching you, that means you can give more. You can give more. And God has been good to Lisa and me in the last couple of years. She's been working really hard. We were one income for quite a stretch when we had little kids. We're two incomes right now. God has been good, and we are giving more than we have ever given. Not, and I'm not bragging. I'm saying I know the need. Would you please be a contributor in the body of Christ? In a world of consumerism, in a world that Taylor makes experiences for people so that they can feel comfortable, that is not what the church is. The church follows the man who walked up a hill with a cross on his back, who stretched out his arms, nails in his hand, nails in his feet, thorns in his brow, 39 lashes on his back, a spear in his side, blood and water flowing down for the life of the world. And so if God has put anything in me, go ahead and pierce me and let it flow down for the life of the world. If God has blessed you, he's blessed you to be a blessing. I invite you to be a contributor in this church. Come and connect and contribute. And I can assure you, and we've got elders in this room, we can assure you that as you trust us with your tithes and offerings, we will take that before the Lord with all sobriety and with all fear. And we will distribute that knowing that one day we will stand before Jesus and he will say, what did you do with it? We talk about around here as we spend money at church, we say, we are spending people's worship. This is not fun. We're not buying Range Rovers and Hummers. We're not out, you know, you know, let's get more gear and let's buy more. No, we're trying to take care of people with what you entrust us. So come and connect and contribute. Can you say amen tonight? I'm sorry. I'm sorry, but I'm not that sorry. I mean this. Fourth thing and the last thing, and I'll tell the story and then we'll close. Fourth thing is care. I need you to feel this. I need you to come, I need you to connect, I need you to contribute, but, but you can give money without giving your heart. And I need you to care, I, 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 I need you to feel it. I need you to weep over these people. I need you to pray over these people throughout the week. I need you to look across the aisle and hug a neck and shake a hand and go, this is the body of Christ and these are my brothers and sisters and we're gonna be neighbors in eternity and like we're, you better get used to it, caring for these people care for these people. I, want, I wanted to read a list of all the, the care ministries that we here have, have, have <laughs> that we have here at the church. And Pastor Lejean's going to be in the back tonight at the family care table. We've got, we've got care groups for people who've had abortions. I've talked to people in the last two weeks who have, since Roe v. Wade, have said, yeah, that's a part of my story. That's right here in this room. One, stats say one out of every four women have experienced this. We're going to care for that here. We're not gonna ignore that here. We've got drug addiction for kids. We've got drug addiction for adults. We've got miscarriage and pregnancy loss groups. We've got suicide groups, people who've experienced it or people who are thinking about it. And we care for people in that situation. People going through infertility. We've got elderly care groups. We've got children with cancer groups. Marriage and blended family groups and 
kids who've been through abuse, groups for them, groups for eating disorder and codependency and financial coaching for people who've gone through bankruptcy and domestic violence care groups and teen pregnancy care groups and widows care groups and healing from porn addiction care groups and we've got celebrate recovery and divorce care and grief share and foster care and adopt support and marriage small groups and and I'm not even reading them all. That is a part of the life of our church and if you need help there, go to the table and let us show you how we can help. But I need you to feel it too. Care for the saints around you. We take this seriously and you can do things personally that we could never do organizationally. Because of your awareness and your flexibility and because of your care. Last year, my father-in-law, Larry, was not feeling great. Had some chest pain. 6'5", 270, bald, gray goatee, stallion. Great man of God. I love him with all my heart. I, I couldn't have asked for a better father-in-law. Having some chest pain, and he called the doctor, and they said, yeah, why don't you come in next week? And he went on a fishing trip, and Two days later, came back and he went to the hospital. They said, we're gonna do a stress test on you. And he said, okay. And Linda, my mother-in-law was there and she's in the room next to the room with the treadmill where they've got them all hooked up and the whole deal. And they're looking at the screens and Larry steps up on to the treadmill and he starts going and they crank it up and he starts going and he's doing his thing. And all of a sudden he codes red. Gone hits the floor, all the alarms, all the people, screaming, yelling, running. <laughs> Linda's in the room next door, she hears all of it. Her husband of 53 years. A Couple minutes later, a chaplain walks in crying to Linda, my mother-in-law, and she said, it's Larry. He said, it's Larry. Linda calls us and she goes, your dad coded. Lisa fell on the ground. I fell on the ground. She said, pray. They're working. I don't know, was he out for 12, 13, 14 minutes? We have no idea. Gone. Everyone's working on him. Working on him, working on him. They put him in an ambulance because they got to take him across town to the better hospital. They're working on him in the ambulance. They, they after 14, 15 minutes, maybe get his heart going again, but they said, we don't know what happened to his brain. You got to pray. He, he could be brain dead. After about five minutes of just sobbing on the floor, Lisa, I pulled up southwest.com and bought two plane tickets. And we started racing to Denver. While we were driving, I, Lisa sent a text to our friends here in this room. You. We said, we didn't pack anything. Here's what happened. We didn't pack anything. Our kids are in school. We don't have any idea what's going on. They're yours. And we raced to Denver. We got on a plane. We flew to Tulsa. The next day, they took Larry into open heart surgery. And somehow, some way, three weeks later, he was mowing his lawn. I, strongest guy, man of God. And as I was thinking this week about this sermon coming and connecting and contributing and caring, I thought, we saw it. I called Larry yesterday and I said, Larry, I've been thinking about telling this story, but I don't know if that's too tender for you. I don't, I don't feel like I have permission to tell that. What do you think? He goes, Daniel, he started sobbing. He said, you please tell that story and tell it strong because your friends at your church didn't just help you, they helped us. Friends, when you live this way, you change the world. You heal the world. You bless the world. This is not so we can have a social club and feel good about our little cult gathering together with a world that's going to hell in the handbasket. We are restoring the world in the power of the spirit as we live this way. 
And so when I stand up here and ask you to do this, I, I ask you to do this as a pastor who watches stories unfold, and I know how much these people need you. And I also do it as a human being whose father-in-law unexpectedly died a year and a half ago, and somehow Jesus did a good work, and all of you carried us through, and you carried them through. I need you to come. I need you to connect. I need you to contribute, and I need you to care. And if you will do this, if we will do this, the kingdom of God will come on the earth as it is in heaven. In the name of Jesus and all God's people said, stand with me tonight, church. Lord, tonight, would you open your hands, church? If you wanna give God permission to make you this kind of person, I should say, open your hands. Lord, we are willing. You washed our feet and you told us to go and do likewise. And now we sign up again to go wash the feet of the world. We sign up again to serve our brothers and sisters right here in the church. We sign up to be contributors in a consumerist society. We sign up to lay down our lives and to follow you and to deny ourselves and to come after you, Jesus, and we ask you to make us as a church, New Life Friday night, make us a difference maker in 80921 and in every area code around this place, every zip code, Lord, I pray that you would make us to be the people that step out into the Pikes Peak region for the glory of God and the good of the people. Lord, make us the church for this region, we pray. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and all God's people said, let's worship the Lord together. Oh, and Jesus at the center of it all. Jesus at the center of it all. From beginning to the end, it'll always be, it's always been you, Jesus. Oh, Jesus, and nothing
would you get your communion elements and be ready to receive if you don't have communion elements raise your hand our team is coming quickly to get you what you need right here Spirit of the Lord is doing something in us tonight. There are nights that you don't ever recover from, and I'm trusting that this is one of those nights in all the right ways. You don't ever recover from it. You become a different person. We become a different congregation. So Lord, do it tonight. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread, and he said, I'll go first. I'll go first. I'll die first. I'll lay down my life first. It'll cost me everything first. It'll cost me more than you could ever imagine first. He said, this is my body, which is broken for you. And as often as you do this, remember, remember what it's like. Remember what faithfulness looks like. Remember what cruciformity looks like. Remember what laying down your life looks like. So tonight, Jesus, make us this kind of church, we pray. Church, if you believe in Jesus Christ, if you long to be his, if you need his healing in your life, and if you want to be like him, you may receive the bread tonight. We've all been consumers. We have all made life about us. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And Jesus knew it. He said, it's okay. This is the cup of the new covenant given in my blood and it's given for the remission of all of your sins. And every time you do this, you remember that you're clean. Remember that I'm for you. Remember that you're a new creation in me. You're good. Let's get going. Tonight, saints, you're clean. You're washed. Jesus is for you. You may drink the cup. Nothing else matters. Come on, church. Sing it out. Nothing in this world will do. Jesus, be the center. Jesus, you're the center. Everything revolves around you. Jesus, you. I want to do something really quick. Can we do something really quick? Can we just grab hands? Just like across aisles. I just kind of saw this picture as, as Dan was wrapping up. And I want, I want us to just kind of lift those hands all over. We're just going to sing this phrase over us. And Jesus be the center of your church. And Jesus be the center of your church. Sing Jesus be say Jesus be the center of your church
Isn't he wonderful? Sing hallelujah. Christ is Okay, one last, one last thing we got to do tonight. I want to sing the chorus of It Is Well. And I want organ and piano to just fill this room up. It is well with my soul. I don't know if this is a better key for you, Terrell, or Katie, but... It is well. Come on, church. It is well with my soul.
depths of your being. Hallelujah. 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 Come on, church. Ten more seconds. Let's go. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Would you open your hands tonight to receive the blessing of God? It's going to be okay. Somehow, some way, it's going to be okay. The only way I can say that is Jesus was dead and then he wasn't. So it's going to be okay for those who follow Jesus. You may die, you'll come out of it. So Lord, let that, it's going to be okay, settle deep in our bones. Heal us tonight, Lord, of the oppression of anxiety. I pray that you'd bless your people and keep them and make your face to shine upon them and be gracious to them. Lord, lift your countenance upon them tonight and grant them peace, all of their people, peace. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and all God's people said tonight, can we give God thanks for what he's done? And I need you to know how excellent these folks have been all night. Would you give it up for the team who have come in to serve? God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Okay, we've got the family care table back here. If you're needing any of the care ministries that I mentioned, please swing by. We've got a prayer team down here ready to pray for you. And this next week is Desperation Conference. So if you have teenagers or you know teenagers or you want to sponsor teenagers who can't come, like we're not going to turn anyone away because of money. And if you want to help us do that, you can get signed up in the back. Go from here tonight in God's grace and peace. So much love.